You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Nam, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit JcastNetwork.org. Good morning. It's nice once again to be with you all this morning. We are continuing in the Nitivot Shalom, which is a work of Hasidic commentary and thought by the last Slonimer Rebbe, Rabbi Noach Sholem uh, Berzhavsky, um, who died, who left this world in uh, 2000 uh, and uh, lived most of his life in Jerusalem. And we're reading, a, uh, we're reading an essay, we're learning an essay together that he wrote uh, about Passover, uh, specifically about the issue of not eating chametz, not eating leaven on Passover. The essay is entitled Shivat Yamim Lotochlu Chametz. For seven days, you shouldn't eat any chametz, you shouldn't eat leaven, uh, which uh, is taken from the biblical passage, which, which prohibits uh, eating leaven on Passover. And last week, we spent our time uh, really in the first paragraph of the essay, where he lays out his uh, series of questions that are going to drive his commentary here. Right? And the major question is, why is chametz treated so much more stringently? Why is the prohibition on leaven so much more harsh than any other prohibition in the Torah? Right? It, there's, there's nothing else like it. So that's the question. What's special about chametz? What's perhaps so sinister about chametz that were so utterly forbidden from it on Passover. And now his answer. So, okay, so a possible answer is, uh, for the issue, is according to uh, what's written in the holy book, the Pri Haaretz, um, which is a Hasidic uh, uh Commentary on the Torah, and this is from Parshat Baha'alotcha, which is um, early in the book of Numbers. Al hapasuk asaf suf asher hit Okay, on the verse that the the rabble, the riffraff in their midst, um, had a uh, developed a craving. Right, now, if you notice in that verse, it's got a, a, an odd formulation. Hit ava literally means I mean, it's an idiom, so it doesn't follow the literal meaning, um, but if we were to translate it literally, it would mean they, uh, they developed a craving for a craving. Or they caused themselves to crave a craving. So this is the interpretation, right? That it means that they developed a craving that they should have a craving. In other words, they wanted to want something. They wanted to need something. It's like right, that, that uh, old cheap trick song, right? I want you to want me, I need you to need me, right? They wanted to want something. They craved craving something. So they caused themselves and then caused other people. The riffraff here are alternatively understood uh, in the tradition to either be kind of, you know, no goodnik Israelites who happen to be with the rest of the Israelites in the wilderness or a mixed multitude, right? In other words, non-Jews who left Egypt or who joined the Israelites following the Exodus. That's the word Asaf Suf, the, the, the riffraff. And in any event, they, um, they, this group of people uh, 
had a craving or compelled themselves to have a craving, which then in turn they transmitted to everybody else and caused everybody else to, to want this craving, which is uh, which results in um, a story of God sending uh, quail uh, for the Israelites to eat in the wilderness, which was not a very uh, a positive story for the uh, Israelites. And what they wanted was the quail because they, they didn't want the manna anymore, the special bread uh, that miraculously fell for the Israelites while they were in the wilderness. Excuse me. Right? They 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 desired. They made for themselves a desire that they should have a desire. Ki haman ruchani lo meorer tavot. Right. The the manna in being a being soul food and being spiritual food. It didn't arouse any desires. It didn't arouse any cravings. Right now, we know this is true. You know, there's certain foods that, uh, you know, uh, not only satisfy certain cravings, but make us crave other things, right? Everything from, you know, that famous uh, Seinfeld episode where, you know, these pretzels are making me thirsty, right? You know, there's certain foods that make us want other foods or want other drinks, right? But there are also certain foods that, uh, that, that physiologically uh, make us... Uh, uh, give us a higher propensity to want other things or to do other things. Right? They give us energies or they give us, uh, they, they might anger us, right? Or they, uh, um, right? Sometimes those, sometimes what uh, foods do to us physiologically is very subtle and hard to see in, in the moment. But nevertheless, right? Everything you eat has an impact on, on your body and on your bio, you know, biochemistry um, and also on your brain chemistry ultimately, Right, so uh, foods have an impact, and the the theory about the manna is that it didn't have that kind of impact. It was a perfect food and didn't uh, and didn't uh, arouse any uh, any cravings. But the but the, the this riffraff wanted cravings. Right, so then they requested foods that would arouse these kinds of cravings. The hapior So the explanation of this. Okay, so the explanation of this is that God, the Holy Blessing One in creating everything that a person eats, and specifically with foods that are essential for human sustenance, God created in all these foods achizat chitzonim, which I, I've translated as uh, um, uh, foreign influences. Things that, um, things that are uh, extraneous uh, to the nutritional value of the food that, uh, that can... Um, that can influence our biochemistry and influence our minds and influence our stomachs and influence our hearts. Right? There, there are you know, extraneous things about these food items, some of which can, um, can, can result in, uh, in, in, in negative side effects. And everything God created for human sustenance has this capacity for negative side effects, and it's especially true with essential foods. Essential foods have good side effects, 
but also have the capacity to, uh, to, to negatively impact us. And so when a person eats and the, the food turns into blood, all right, that's not uh, quite uh, um, physiologically accurate, but I'll allow it for the moment, right? It's uh, not that the food turns to blood, but anyway, when the food is digested, Okay. So from uh, from the from these external uh, uh, forces, or these foreign influences that are in the food, uh, they uh, they cause uh, they cause the the you know the blood to elevate, right? The the blood to pump faster and to cause more cravings, which might ultimately lead a person to sin. Right, so it's true. Now, this isn't exactly. I don't know if uh, how the Sloan Rebbe would uh, deal with you know the, the the Twinkie defense. You know, famously in the um, uh, case in the assassination of Harvey Milk, right? That uh, that because the uh, culprit you know argued that because he ate a, a bunch of Twinkies, his blood sugar was so elevated that he wasn't in his right mind. I don't think it's quite saying that. Uh, you know, no, notoriously. Um, in some ways, ludicrous uh, defense, right? But um, but nevertheless, right, there is an element of truth to that defense, right? Why it was in, uh, somewhat effective is there is an element of truth, right? When we when we eat foods, right, they can uh, cause our you know our, our our blood to pump faster and cause us to desire things. They cause they can they can they can motivate us to 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 do things we you know, uh, otherwise wouldn't do. Sometimes for good. Sometimes they give us a lot of energy. You know, the right foods will give us energy to go, you know, uh, run, a, run a marathon, right? And the wrong foods, right, uh, alternatively, will give us no energy, right? Well, will just put us to sleep and, uh, and, and possibly even harm our bodies, right? So there are, so from these, uh, these uh, external forces, these foreign influences, these side effects that are in food, right, they, they cause a person to sometimes desire committing transgressions. And the reason for this, so why did God create, you might ask, why did God create food that would specifically lead a person to negative behavior? So the reason is, so God's purpose here is that a Jewish person will repair and purify these negative attributes. Right? This is a classic piece of, of Hasidic teaching. That there is negativity in the world. There are dark sides to everything that we encounter. Right? But God put us in the world to transform the negative into positive to transform the darkness to light. Right? That's the Jewish mission in the world. It's what Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz once said to me. He said, the Jewish job is to be the yeast in the dough of humanity. No pun intended here, and we're talking about uh, chametz, right? the yeast in the dough of humanity. Right? That we're supposed to elevate the world. Right? And here, right, you have something negative that's inherent in, uh, in the food that we eat, and the job of the Jew is to internalize that potential for negativity and transform it to the good. Right? So the same energy that a piece of bread can give us to, uh, to go commit a, a, a crime could also be channeled to, uh, to, to performing a commandment. Achen Haman, Shehu Ma'achal HaMelachim, 
right? But the manna, which was angel food, Kedita Begemara, as we find in the Talmud in, in Tractate Yoma, uh, page 75b. Alakatuv Lechem Avirim. So the Gemara uh, interprets a passage from the Psalms that says that the manna is Lechem Avirim, which is the bread of angels. So it didn't have this quality to it, the manna, that had the, these foreign influences. And therefore the manna didn't arouse any cravings. It was a perfect food in that regard. Right? It had no side effects. And so through this we can also understand another teaching of the sages, about the verse that God blessed the seventh day, right? from Genesis, that God blessed the seventh day. So how did God bless the seventh day? God blessed it with manna. Now there's a problem there. Right? On its surface, that's surprising. Right? Why is it surprising? Well, because when God made that, st- when God made that statement that you uh, will bless the seventh day, manna hadn't been invented yet. Manna hadn't been given yet. And all, even more than that, the the Nativo um, Shalom says, The manna only existed for the 40 years that the Israelites were in the wilderness. And the blessing of the Sabbath is an eternal blessing. Right? The Sabbath happens every week and has for thousands of years. The manna was only a 40-year thing. So how is it that the Sabbath is given the blessing of manna, according to the rabbis? So the answer is, The Sabbath has the quality of the manna, which is to say, the holiness of the manna, that the manna didn't have these um, negative side effects and didn't arouse any kind of uh, 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 desires, that kind of holiness God also gave to the Sabbath. In the food that we eat on Shabbat, it's got the quality of holiness that the manna had. Now this is really, for for those of you out there who observe the Sabbath in a traditional fashion, um, I think that he really has a great point here. Part of the beauty of Shabbat is it's a day where you don't need anything. Right? I actually, now that I've been observing the Sabbath, you know, in, in a traditional way for so many years, I actually don't have, you know, the, the desire to do weekday things that I may have once had. Right? On the, during the week, I get cravings for different kinds of food and for different kinds of activities. Right? On Shabbat, I actually don't feel those cravings at all. And the food that we eat on Shabbat, being the special kind of food that we eat, right? It, it, he says he attributes that um, that it contributes to this feeling on Shabbat that we that we don't need anything other than what we have. 
right? but with other kinds of food. And specifically with chametz. Specifically with leaven. That is essential for, the, uh, for sustaining human life. It has these possible negative side effects. These foreign influences. These com- elements to it that arouse cravings. And only matzah, which is a um, which is a, uh, a a food that we have to eat um, by a commandment from God, has this um, holy quality to it uh, in the same way that the manna does. Now, part you know, the flippant side of me wants to say that you know that that's really true about uh, matzah in the sense that you know there are really no uh, side effects to eating matzah. Right? You eat matzah, and for seven days you don't have to go to the bathroom at all. Right? It's got no waste products. Um, now that's not you know scientifically true, but anecdotally, anybody who's uh, spent a, 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 a week eating matzah on Passover will tell you that uh, anecdotally it's got some uh, validity to it. I don't think that that's what he's saying here, though. Um, I think what he's saying is that matzah is bread with all the without all the externalities, without all the additional stuff, without all the additional components. It's just flour and water. It's just the essentials. It's just the basics. And it is efficient. Right? It's efficient not only because it doesn't take a long time to make, but it's efficient because it provides the sustenance and the nutrients that a person needs without all the negative side effects, without all of the externalities. So that's the issue with matzah versus chametz that he lays out at the beginning. Right, The first step in this discussion is that unlike chametz, matzah has no capacity to arouse cravings, which makes it like the manna. Right? So one of the reasons that we eat matzah, which is not necessarily the same thing as why we don't eat chametz, but from a positive point of view, why we do eat matzah is that it is like angel bread. It is like the food of angels. And alternatively, why we don't eat chametz is that we take a week where we only eat things that won't make us crave, that won't cause us to desire negative activity. Right? Where we can be truly free of these possible negative behaviors that compel us during the rest of the year. And Passover being about freedom is a very appropriate time to do that. And as we go on in this essay, we'll see a more strong connection drawn between the liberation of Passover, the freedom of Passover, and the prohibition on chametz. But until then, have a great day, and we'll learn next week.